Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. Twice a month, we'll meet an amazing executive who'll share a story about her career and give us some great insight into her success. So if you are pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe. Survival is essential. Success is great. But what does it mean to thrive? We've compiled the most popular and compelling advice from our guests and created a Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills such as clarifying your vision and growing your influence. You can grab it at christinedelano.com. To find out more about our show and our guests, I invite you to follow me on Instagram. All these links will be in the show notes. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. In this episode, we are talking to Elizabeth Kashner about showing up. We work hard for our careers, and yet we can undermine our own success by not consistently showing up. How can we assure we are bringing everything we've got to our careers and our families and not disappointing ourselves and others? Elizabeth Kashner serves as Director of Global Funds Research at FactSet. She manages FactSet's fund analytics, providing classifications, ratings, and analytical data. Elizabeth covers industry microstructure and investor behavior and came to FactSet from ETF.com, where she created the ETF analytics product. She holds a BA from Brown University and a master's in financial analysis from the University of San Francisco. Elizabeth is married and has three children, two in college and one in high school. She lives in Berkeley, California, where she enjoys swimming every single day and hiking and is active in the Berkeley Jewish community. During the pandemic, Elizabeth adopted Luna, a dash hound mix, who happily joins hikes and shows up on Zoom calls. <laughs> so I am pleased to welcome Elizabeth Kashner to the We Talk Careers podcast. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you, Christine. I am just so excited. I am excited to have you. Uh, this is going to be a great conversation. You know, and actually, I enjoy all our conversations. A little side note, and I've never mentioned this to you, but the spelling of your first name is the same as my beloved grandmother and my daughter's middle name. And so when I see a note from you, I'm often reminded of two other amazing women. So thank you for that. It's always good to channel grandma, isn't it? It is. It is. She was such an amazing woman. So smart. So ahead of her time and also loving. So yes, it is a beautiful thing to pass that name down to my daughter and to also just think of her. So thank you for that. Those reminders. So before we dig into this episode of showing up, would you be willing to share a story about why this is so important to you and why the rest of us should really think about the power of showing up? That's a great way to start, Christine. You know, uh, when I was thinking about this show, it was really top of mind for me that I had earlier this month traveled to Boulder, Colorado. Um, I was invited to an academic conference there, a new experience for me, super fun. Uh, but it wasn't my first time in Boulder. And the memories of that first time came flooding back when I was there. I was working for a startup called Index Universe, 
uh, which would later become ETF.com that I think many of our listeners know and love. Um, Mm -hmm. And as part of our startup pains, we had just gotten into a a situation with a data provider and calculation agent that uh, we just couldn't get them to produce the data that we wanted at the quality level that we wanted um, and execute all of the calculations properly. And the, um, the leadership of my firm said, Elizabeth, go out there and make them do it right, step by step, calculation by calculation. And so there I was. I had uh, three young kids who I had left with my husband camping out in Boulder. I stayed there for a week and I really went line by line, every input, every calculation, every output. Wow. My hosts were not that happy to see me, honestly, because I just kept coming at them with illustrations, clarifications, details, essentially going through my day, telling them what they were doing wrong. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, they just wanted our product to be simple, but it wasn't simple. It was about precision and utility. So Mm. I just kept at it. And there's one moment of that trip that I think really kind of crystallizes the whole thing. And crystal is a good word because there was snow Mm. and we don't get a lot of snow where I live in Berkeley, California. And there I was in Colorado and I had these brand new Uggs. I think my daughters had just given them to me for Hanukkah. And I said, I got to get out of here. And I put on my Uggs and and there was these woods right behind the hotel. And I thought, I'm going to go through a walk and I'm going to walk through the snow and it's going to be so great. And, you know, my sense of direction is pretty good. So no trail map. I'm just going to go. And that was good. I was, I was mostly doing the right thing until I wasn't Christine because blocking my path between me and the hotel, there was this giant parked freight train, so many cars. And I'm not accustomed to climbing over freight trains because they could start moving and then I would be well in a pickle. I'm not right. that coordinated. <laughs> and I really had to think about it because I could retrace my steps, but it was pretty dark and pretty cold, or I could take a deep breath and climb over that train. Mm. And that's what I did. I really sort of steeled myself and said, okay, come on, you know, it's a very low probability that that train is going to start moving. I can't tell you how I got up or down, but I can tell you that I got back to that hotel and it was warm and there was a glass of wine and I lived to fight another day and figure out how to move a mountain of corporate indifference. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. What a great picture of corporate indifference in the sight of a freight train. I love it. I love it. And then those poor Ugg boots, who are, which are not made for, for snow, that, that poor suede. So, oh my goodness. Wow, Elizabeth, thank you for that. So based on that story, how do you define showing up? What does that mean to you? You know, when I really think about it, I think about it means being up for the challenge and bringing everything that you have to the moment. Maybe the simplest way to talk about it is to be fierce. You know, um, you mentioned in the uh, in the intro that I have three children, and that's really true. But I used to joke that ETF Analytics was my fourth child, and the other three were jealous of it (laughs) because all of my children need relentless advocacy. But as the kids got older, we really trained them to be independent and to advocate for themselves, right? That's not just about nurturing, but it's about building competence. And in the workplace, 
in some ways, your product doesn't grow up. It needs consistent nurturing. So when I think about it in a family context, you know, it could mean insisting on getting a second medical opinion or preparing kids to manage their own health care, making sure they know how to shop and clean and cook and do laundry and fix stuff. At work, it might be about protecting my team, like someone who was on military leave during an acquisition. You know, I, I just I love how you think about showing up in all these different places uh, of your life. I was talking to a best friend of mine recently, and she was um, helping her daughter move into a new college apartment and things were rather filthy. And so uh, she had one of the girls go out and buy some cleaning materials. And and then she did like lessons on how to clean a bathroom. Like what is the proper way? And I don't know, her daughter might've been, you know, completely embarrassed by this. I was riveted by her story. And I asked her later, I'm like, you know, what did these girls do? You know, like were you know, were they participatory, you know, and all that. And she says, you know, their mothers never taught them how to do this. You know, they came in living on their own, never having had to clean a bathroom. And it was sort of remarkable to me because we both raised our kids very similar ways and knowing how to do these very basic things that are, you know, so important to our health and welfare. So I, I just thought about that while you were talking about showing up. So tell us, Elizabeth, how do we do it well? Like, wh what are some of the practical steps to showing up? Well, Christine, I'm a very practical person, but I'm going to give you a more spiritual answer. <laughs> Uh, Fantastic. And, Fantastic. And, and that's because what power is showing up to me is love. We show up for the people and the projects that we love. And I, I don't know that I can give any practical advice on how to find what you love or on how to find the part of you that's willing to fight for it, except that I know that you have it. And as you find it, it will be clear what is worth fighting for and what is not. Then you get down to the practical questions. What's the best way to make sure that I show up tomorrow? Do I climb over the train or do I retrace my steps? Wow. I think that, you know, for me, I find that times where I am very conscious about showing up is when maybe others don't. So, you know, if I host an event and people cancel like kind of at the last minute or, you know, there's other things kind of going on where I'm thinking, am I alone in this project? Like, does anyone care quite as much as me? I always find that's a really great time to look at the other places in my life that maybe I'm not showing up as well. Like, it's a good reminder to me. Is there like things that jog for you, stories or ideas that can help our listeners maybe diagnose whether they're showing up well in their own careers or in their own lives? So, you know, really resonated with me, Christine, this sense of that you really know when it's important to show up when nobody else is. I will admit, I feel that in a very petty way when I come down in the morning and nobody's wiped off the countertops. <laughs> but uh, maybe that's something I should let go of and really follow my own advice and concentrate on the things that, that matter. And, you know, I, I think that experience that I talked about earlier about corporate indifference, it became super clear to us at ETF.com that no one was going to care about our product more than we did and that working with a third party was a dead end path. And so we decided to become masters of our own fate by building the whole thing from the bottom up, collecting our own data, building our own quality control plant, building a calculation engine. 
But oh my God, that turned out to be a huge, huge lift. I played a really key role in that launch because I was in charge of vetting all of the programming work and validating all of the input data. And what that meant on a practical level is that from Thanksgiving through MLK Day, I spent every single waking hour working, preparing for launch. It was weekends, it was evenings, it was everything. I got some time off to eat and to sleep and to attend to the very most important parenting tasks. I could not have done this if my husband hadn't been willing to step up and pick up all of the slack. Mm. And then even then, at the very last minute, showing up took everything that I had. We had a hard target for releasing this product. It was at Inside ETFs 2014. So many of our listeners know that for many, many years, Inside ETFs was the premier ETF event of the year. It's a very high profile, very public. Everybody who's anybody in the industry shows up. Absolutely. Yeah. So I had this endless six-hour flight from San Francisco to Florida I noticed problems on the flight. When I landed, I could say pretty clearly that all of the calculations ready were ready, but the data was not. I was so tense about seeing our launch threatened because if our data wasn't accurate, we would look like fools. Mm. And I got to my hotel room. We were in a little bit of a family holdback situation where the ETF.com people weren't in the diplomat. We were in a different hotel, but the Wi-Fi didn't work there. <laughs> and I was out of time. So one of my blessed, blessed teammates did a quick room switcheroo. I set up really like nine time zone phone calls between Florida, where I was, and Hawaii, where our big programmer was, to get everything sorted. And I made it happen because I showed up and I did not let up until the job was done and the product was solid. And we had a big, flashy launch and rebranding. And I was really confident that any ETF that anybody wanted to see a demo on would show up and show up right. Wow. I'm sweating just from your story. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my goodness. If that's not showing up, I don't know what is. Oh my goodness. Wow. That is a lot, Elizabeth. Showing up sometimes takes a toll, right? You know, it it takes a toll on, you know, your husband and your kids and, and things like that. But it is nice that it's bookended, right? You know, there's a certain amount of time where we focus and coming back to that word of love, you loved what you were doing. You know, you felt passionate about the fact that that data needed to be backed by calculations that were accurate in order to produce ETF data that anyone and everyone can appreciate and trust. And so I just, I love your story of being able to show up. Now, I hope after that, you got a little bit of time off. Oh, there was a spa day involved. <laughs> I think you need a spa week, but yes. Oh, good. I'm so glad. You know, sometimes I ask this question of, is there someone that you admire that does this well? But I, I would say right away, I admire you. I think you do this well. You know, you show up and that's why I love the fact that you have taken on this. But is there anyone else in your life that you can look to and say, this person does it well and this is why and, and I admire them for showing up? You know, there's my best friend who's really not in the financial services industry at all. She's in the healthcare system. And she's not a doctor. She works for public health. And I know that we all have a tremendous appreciation for our public health workers after two years of the pandemic. 
Absolutely. One story just is really crystallized for me. You know, she didn't sleep for weeks at the outset of the COVID pandemic because she understood very well what the testing gap was. And because she works for Kaiser, which is a sort of all-inclusive healthcare system, Kaiser had the go-ahead to set up drive-through testing systems, but nobody had done that before. And she had to figure out how to design it, how to stand it up, how to standardize it across all of their locations. And, you know, those like tents and kiosks where the cars were lined up and you queue through and you go through and there's the worker and the PPE and all of the tests and the permissions and everything. That was my friend behind all of that. And for weeks and weeks afterwards, she started to get requests from other healthcare systems who were trying to do the same thing. So my friend was a critical element in flattening the curve. And if that's not worthy of admiration, I don't know what is. And if her kids ate fish sticks for three weeks, well, maybe they'll grow fins and scales. (laughs) Well, that is fantastic. That is just another excellent example of showing up and knowing that it takes a village to be able to show up sometimes, right? You know, the kids eating fish sticks and everyone else. And then the idea that what it offered her to, you know, she became then not only a thought leader, but a practical expert in being able to do that. So, you know, people are now coming to her for this advice and thank her for us. Um, obviously, this is a time where so many amazing people in public health had to step up and and we certainly appreciate them. So what is something you wish you knew about showing up when you started your career? Any, uh, any thoughts for our listeners that, that maybe haven't thought about it the same way that you have? I have so much to say about this one, Christine. You know, headline level, I would say that, you know, sort of stereotypically, women value and are valued for self-effacing behavior. We're expected to be caretakers, to lead from behind, to empathetically probe for commonalities, to be nice and to fit in. But Christine, some of us are mama bears. We're fierce and we're driven and we're clear about our priorities. We might not be interested in packing the picnic basket and we don't see the point in decorating it with flowers or ribbons. We are going to defend our cubs. So what I mean by this is that there is more than one way to succeed as a woman. And I would say that that also carries through to parenting. I think parenting makes us better managers. And for me, particularly a better hiring manager, the first person I ever hired in my whole life was the most important hire I've ever made, an au pair. I mean, is there a more important job, right? Au pairs who live with us, they share in raising and protecting our children. They strap them into the car seats. They drive them around. They transmit our values. I got so lucky. The au pair that I hired cared for my children as if they were her own. What a high stakes hire. I really had to make sure in that one that I found someone who wanted the job for the right reasons, someone who had faced some hardships that grew her up fast allowed her to clearly embrace our values and our parenting approach. She was just so amazing with our kids then. They were six and three and one. She was so competent and calm that I was able to leave my kids with her, complete a master's in financial analysis, and pass the CFA level two during the years that she lived with us. Mm, That is fantastic. That is so fantastic. Let's go back. I mean, one of the things you said there was there's more than one way to succeed as a woman. And and I love that concept of taking a look at what does it mean 
showing up for ourselves. So not to beat ourselves up if we don't look like how someone else is doing it, you know, how someone else has decorated their living room or how someone else, you know, hosts a party or how someone else has been able to rise to a level in their career that's different from us. So I think that's just such a great reminder that we're all running our own race and that each one of us, you know, needs to take stock in what that looks like. So thank you so much for that reminder. I I just really appreciate it. So is there specific advice for this next generation of leaders that that you'd like to share? Yeah, there really is. You know, everybody talks about diversity now and for very good reasons. I'd like to throw out one other kind of diversity that maybe should get a little bit of airtime, and that's diversity in leadership styles. People really appreciate when you go to bat for them or for an idea that they hold dear. So when you're starting out, look for a company or a manager who does things for the right reasons and show up for them. And then later on, as you get to be more senior, seek out peers and employees who also do the right thing for the right reason. Show up for them and they will show up for you. Fantastic. And when you're looking at folks, so you talked about sort of the importance of hiring and you know, how showing up can be such a big part of it. What is it that you look for in employees and peers that gives you a pretty good idea of whether they're going to be great at showing up? I look for two things, Christine. I look for competence and I look for passion. Competence, I usually can get at through um, a practical trial. You know, I need you to be a writer, so write something for me. I need you to be a researcher. Here's some research topics. Go produce a little research note. Passion, I think you got to be in the room or even in the Zoom room. You know, I think I alluded earlier to uh, somebody I had once hired who came up through the military. And although he had a great education, he had no financial services experience when I hired him. Why was I so confident about him? And why was I willing to like track him down on military training when my group was being acquired. And if he didn't sign the acquisition letter, he would be left behind. And I was going to do everything I could to keep him on my team. It was because this guy dug into everything he did super hard. He understood where he had messed up in the past. He found his opportunities. He found an advocate who gave the best reference that I've ever gotten. And I looked at this guy and I knew You are somebody who is going to be there for your team, be there for your product, be there for yourself. What more do you want? Absolutely. So when you're thinking about passion in that way, there's also this this idea of fighting the right fight, right? You know, so being passionate, but also being discerning in how to sort of apply that passion. Do you have a story for us on thinking about fighting the right fight while you show up well? Uh, I sure do. And, and uh, you know, it's a story of how I kind of fought the wrong fight and then figured it out. You know, after we launched that ETF analytics product, I finally had some bandwidth to do some research. And um, I started to be able to write really interesting blogs. One of the first series I did uh, was on robo-advisors, seven different blogs. As part of this series, I tried to interview a lot of people in the robo-industry. I was really focusing not on the interface or you know the type of client, but about the portfolio construction methodology and ETF selection. 
I had observed a real difference across the industry about how people are doing it. And I was curious and I wanted to ask questions. So I went to each company and I got a contact and I found someone to talk to. And at one of the big robos, I was so excited because the person that they said I should talk to was the CEO. And this is somebody who was capturing a lot of headlines in the Wall Street Journal at that time and other financial publications. I was just so excited because the CEO is the top guy. Christine, that interview went south really fast because it turns out that that CEO knew a lot about running a business and almost nothing about modern portfolio theory. And so when I questioned how they were building their product, he thought I was threatening his business and the interview ended abruptly and with some hostility. And I was just so stunned and I was shaken. I was really new at this blogging thing. And I knew, you know, there were so many business relationships that were important to my company. And I was worried that I really had damaged one. Yeah, it was a terrible feeling. And I called up my mentor and he came through and he listened while I cried my eyes out and said what a miserable hash I'd made of things. And then he explained to me, he said, yeah, the CEO is very prominent and great catch for a quote, but he was not the right person in the firm to answer my questions. I needed to find their investment expert instead. And I did. I had the most lovely, long, gracious interview with this fellow. Everything fell into place. I got great color. I got great quotes. And you know what? It turns out that that investment expert is married to my mother's college dorm mate, and I was able to kind of set them up for a reunion many decades hence. (laughs) Oh, that is fantastic. You must not have made too much of a hash of it since they let you back into the company to speak to somebody else. So there's also that kind of thought on perspective too, you know, when we think that we've failed so miserably, being willing to sort of take another stab at it and really assure that bridges aren't burned is so important. You know, it really is. And, uh, you know, I think the emotional piece of this was a big deal. I was so embarrassed and I had dealt with this big wave of hostility and I hate conflict, even though I'm a mama bear, I still hate conflict. But I took those as a signal to pivot and was really gratified, as you said, that it turned out that, you know, the relationship was more robust and finding the right person, replacing the flash with the competence. That was a great lesson learned. Thank you. Yes, I agree. So Elizabeth, I am looking forward to this last question for you. First of all, because I know you're well-read and I love the way you think. So as you know, I'm a fiction writer. I love stories with smart, flawed, but ardent female protagonists. Like it's just, you know, I just eat them up. And I think constructed worlds and new ideas, they just They just give us launch pads into our life and into new ways of thinking. So what are you reading that you would recommend our listeners take a look at? I've got two. I've got a a nonfiction and a fiction. I have to give a shout out for the nonfiction to Stacey Vanek-Smith and to uh, Women in ETF's Joanne Hill, who invited me to interview Stacey for a group of the Women in ETF's leaders. Stacy has a book out about, it's been out for about a year called Machiavelli for Women. And in it, Stacy faces some hard truths about how assertive women are perceived in the workplace. And she has some great suggestions for navigating to success. 
I have to admit, I really struggled with some of her gender role conforming suggestions. But more than that, I just appreciate how she approached the topic and suggested a way out of no way. I love that because, you know, I I love what you said about struggling. I, I feel like sometimes we can echo chamber our books. You know, we can say, basically, I'm just going to read what it is that fills what it is that I already believe and, and, and how it is that I want to approach. I love it when we struggle through some of the pieces, because not only does it help us more firmly understand what we believe, but it also can kind of open us up to different ways of thinking and different perspectives. So I, I love that there was some struggle in, in what you read. So tell us the uh, fiction. So, uh, My son has recently turned me on to science fiction. His father turned him on and uh, my husband didn't have a lot of sway with me over fiction, but my son did somehow. And hearing hearing an author re-mentioned on Ezra Klein's podcast, my favorite, um, has turned me on to Neil Stephenson for science fiction. And I'm working my way uh, through his opus. I particularly recommend Seven Eves. Um, especially if you have an extraordinarily long plane flight. (laughs) That's fantastic. Now, didn't he coin the term metaverse? Wasn't that in like maybe Snow Crash? Did you read that? Haven't gotten to that one yet. Okay. Let's leave that as a research question. Awesome. Let's do that. Let's do that. I will put uh, links in the show notes. Uh, Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Your passion, your intelligence, and your sort of empathy for women going through this just came through so much on this podcast. I so appreciate you joining us today. It has been such a pleasure, Christine. I'm really appreciating this series and lessons from leaders across the financial services industry and women in ETFs has been such a home and a source of growth and community connect, support, inspire. Such an amazing organization. Thank you so much for expanding our reach with this podcast series. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you so much for being part of it. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at, with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.